listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 109 on Ed Reach. What is the future of games and learning? This is Ed Gamer for Thursday, August 15th, 2013. Ed Gamer's part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. That's a big Wade voice. Okay, this show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We'll discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. I'm Heather. And I'm Wade. And as you can see, we have two guests tonight. We brought back Heather. I guess, you know. Yeah. We and the audience agree that we like Heather. So it's it's all good. It's all good. And we brought somebody very cool, another cool person, Wade Berger. And he's, <laughs> he's got some really cool things to share with us. So let's start with Heather. Who are you, Heather? Hey, so last time I was on the show, I was um, te coaching teachers in Madison, Wisconsin, and so, you know, it's been three weeks, so I just thought I'd change jobs, um, <laughs> and um, I'm now going to teach uh, 4K through 5 ESL, so support um, regular ed classrooms with ESL students, and I'm really excited to teach Spanish to fourth and fifth graders. Um, it's a new program in Lake Geneva School District, and... Um, I hear Learning Games Network has got some fun games I might be able to pilot, so I'm pretty excited about that. Ooh. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, very cool. We're happy to have you. Happy, happy, happy. Okay, Wade, who are oh, you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my name's Wade. Um, I'm the uh, Education Outreach Coordinator for the Games and Learning Society Center. Um, so, basically, over the last year or so, I've put together a team of people who are doing work to create educational content for our games and making it so that whenever a teacher or even a learner wants to use our games, uh, we can uh, give you all, give that all kinds of content with the game and so that the game isn't just an isolated thing. And um, that's lesson plans and walkthroughs and all kinds of stuff like that. And so um, that's really what I've been working on over the last year uh, for our lab. Very cool. Very cool. Jerry. My name is Jerry James, and I am a visual arts teacher in Schaumburg, Illinois. And my name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. Okay. EdReach is hot on Stitcher Radio. Hot? Stop. Simmer down. <laughs> Family show. Family show. EdReach is hot on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher is the hottest radio platform on the Internet, and they're taking education forward by giving EdReach and education innovators everywhere a great place to publish content. Listen to the EdReach shows on Stitcher.com. We thank Stitcher for their support of the EdReach network. Okay, so Heather, uh, so you changed jobs. <laughs> you moved to a different state. Sorry you had to come south into Illinois. I know. you got, It's like this forest. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that up there, but okay. I guess that's up there. So you got some really exciting things. Have you been connecting with any other groups? I know GLS, you know, uh, Learning Games Network. Mm -hmm. You were talking about something before, did you? Um, so no? there's lots of other groups. Um, the Illinois Resource Center is an amazing group in Illinois of teachers uh, working in the area of bilingual education, which, you know, I'm very passionate about as well as I've got some great, great people, friends at WIDA, which is the um, testing consortium. And it's out of the University of Wisconsin, but it um, provides testing for ESL students for, I think now they're at 36 different states. Um, and so there are some former GLS people working at WIDA, Megan, and um, <laughs> they're working on some new exciting stuff, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to work with them on developing some assessments around playful learning uh, with the 4K kids at my school this Wonderful. year. So we'll see. I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of possibilities, but good good people doing good work. So I love love to network with them. Yep. And the cool thing is that the four of us got to see each other at uh, the GLS conference, and that's that's where I met Wade. And Wade had a very cool presentation. Uh, using Assassin's Creed 3, 
And can you kind of tell us a little bit about that and sure. <laughs> I guess that project and, and what you were doing? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, So for my master's project uh, at the University of Wisconsin, um, I actually... Uh, I worked with Kurt Squire, who is the head of the game, one of the heads of the Head Games Learning Society, and he um, he kind of got really well known for his work with the Civilization series, and so um, using historical simulations in the classroom, um, kind of figuring out ways to get students to think critically about um, how history is presented and what they think about when they're working with history, and so. Um, I thought it would be great to take advantage of the Assassin's Creed series, especially since the Assassin's Creed 3 game really focused on the American Revolution, and it's a period of time that has a lot of controversy in it. And so I made a kind of fan site where you can geek out about Assassin's Creed 3 and not just geek about, you know, geek out about the gameplay and the kind of, you know, whatever swashbuckling type things that you're going to do in it. I like to swashbuckle. Oh yeah, it, and you can do that in the game, and there are there are all kinds of cool fan sites around the, the internet for that kind of um, action in the in the series. But this this site is more about how you could um, geek out about things where the the re- research behind the game really comes through. And the writing team um, had a really unique process that they went through um, verifying some of their content and the sources that they used and some of the. Um, references that they make in the game, and so you can kind of geek out about you know that process and and moments in the game where it's really a controversial moment, and you get to see it from this really cool perspective. So, um, and that site's out there. Um, I guess plug myself. It's yeah, Assassin's no, Almanac. Assassin'sAlmanac.com. Um, it's been out there. A couple teachers have used it in their classroom. Um, it's not like a curriculum though. It's more just like challenges and a collection of resources to look at when you're playing the game and and there are videos uh, of the gameplay too so if um, you don't even have the game you can still uh, watch the videos and see the p- parts of the game that are really important um, and then that way you kind of get to if you do the videos you don't have to see some of the violent content in the game because that's it is a commercial game it wasn't designed to be used in the classroom it was designed to be s- sold millions and millions of times um, and uh, there's some parts of it that you know definitely wouldn't be the greatest for a learning environment. So the videos kind of cut all that out. Yeah. And, no, that's, uh, yeah. That's good. Hey Jerry, did you find that? He's muted. Jerry, you muted. <laughs> um, still, you're still trying to grab that one. You want to? Assassin's Almanac. Yeah. So it's it. I think it's really cool that we have both Heather and Wade tonight because the topic that we're going to get into here in a minute is the future of games and learning. And I think both of you have an interesting angle, especially with the ELL and also the commercial side that you bring in, Wade. But I do want to kind of back up a little bit tonight because I came uh, came rushing home and I was at my open house tonight. And so I don't know if I have any parents or students that would be watching like, oh, this is why he ran home. He didn't want to talk to me, but he just wanted to do a podcast. So I don't know. So it, school is starting for me. Jerry, when are you? I got one more week. You got another week. And then Heather. Crazy. We had um, registration tonight, so I, I rushed home from registration too. Okay. But so. you don't start until September. Nope. Yeah. So we got but two I, more weeks. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, but I get out in May, so, you know. You know, school in May, so that's kind of that's kind of nice. And then I'm very sad because my two two best friends uh, growing up, Jerry Jerry's getting there. You're getting there, Jerry. But you know, Mark and Justin, I've known for a very long time, and they're at a wonderful place called Gen Con. So if you ask the question today, in the next four days, where's the largest conglomeration of gaming happening in the world? It'd be in Indianapolis, Indiana. And they're sending pictures, and I'm, I, I think they're doing it just to get me mad. So it's like, hey, we started our first game, and they're, it's, it is amazing. Over 150,000 people go through the turnstiles in the four days. Uh, will Wheaton will be there. Uh, very cool. Star yeah. Trek. Yep. So, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's so many cool things there. And, you know, I was kind of concerned because he took – was, was that last year, Jerry? What? That we Did went? we win? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it seems so yeah. long ago, and I was concerned that Jerry wasn't having a good time, and, and 
by the time he left, he's like, this was the most fun I've ever had. Like, great. There were, like, artists. They were doing zombie stuff. They made a beer specifically for Gen yeah. Con. Yeah. The great Family show. Down there, Sun King. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> now, and uh, LARPing, which, you know, you can't get enough of LARPing. LARPing? Live action role. Oh, yeah. Jerry. Okay. okay. Oh. oh, yes. Two points, two points, two points. No, just sorry. So, uh, yeah. Nice, Jerry. Okay. So Gen Con is happening, and I'm very sad, and I just wanted to mention that. Okay, so moving I on. That, I think that's such a great intro to our topic, like given the number of people that are there and interested in participating. Yeah, and this is this is mainly board gaming, and there's there's role-play games and, and things like that. It's Actually, it started up in Wisconsin, this conference. Yeah, it started up in Wisconsin. So, and then it moved to you know Indianapolis. So that's a whole whole another story. But it's it's and something that I brought up with GLS and mentioning it, and even playful learning, that you know board games kind of made uh, and role playing games kind of made a hit this year at GLS, and I think that's an area to look at. And I really think that's something we could look at for uh, getting involved, maybe going to Gen Con uh, in the future and, and bringing that up because it's board games are. A lot of fun, and they're really—they are making a comeback, and it's something that I've used in the classroom, and I use in my game club. Jerry, you do that in your game club. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Card games and such. So you know, we get to the question: What is the future of games and learning? And Mike Bruckner, uh, thank you for for putting that out there. This question, but what is the future? Where where is it headed? And yeah, uh, you know, you have Will Wheaton doing tabletop, which is a phenomenal. Uh, they're playing board games, and he's teaching how to play a board game. And it's they're getting huge hits on that, um, and that market is, is seems to be growing. The games market has surpassed uh, movie industry. You know, it's 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 crazy. Like you said, Comic Con, Heather. We I think we talked about talked about that before. Um, mm -hmm. Big stars are going to this stuff, and and of course there are other conventions and things that deal with games and such. And big names show up for these, so. It's a growing market, and I guess I guess I just want to throw it out to you. Where do you see this going, Heather? Where I mean, especially with ELL, uh, and that seems to be a growing market. Um, you know, do games play play, uh, play a role in that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, something that well, just tonight at registration, for example, Zach. I mean, you, you were there, and like, how many kids did you see walking around with handheld devices? Uh -huh, yeah. You know. Um, just that alone is exploding, and um, and I think ugh, I'm kind of I'm stuck on this um, st this statistic that Al Gore shared in a Time magazine article I read today at the doctor's office when he approved me to go scuba diving after sinus surgery. <laughs> I'm glad we got. That. I, I had to fit that in somehow, right? It, it, it's all good. Um. So Al Gore was Al Gore was quoted in this Time magazine article. It was, it's from February. Um, the number of mobile-only internet users is expected to increase 65-fold over the next five years. Wow! Like that's huge. So I mean, and then and then you know this little kid Carlos, a second grader tonight, has his mom mom's phone and he's playing some video game on it. You know, like. The, the mobile device itself is an affordable way for people to access games and internet. So, I don't know, putting that out allow, there. Do you allow, Jerry and Heather, do you guys have cell phones? Is that allowed in your school? I know you're in an elementary, Heather. Yes, no. Jerry? Um, ours really goes by classroom, you know, decision. It's generally not supposed to make a distraction in the classroom, but, you know, for instance, in my classroom, it can be of use. If kids are trying to find an image or something, and I have 30 kids that want to use the computer, they'll sit there with their cell phone. Um, also, we, we used to allow music, you know, while kids were working on art, but mm -hmm. not too many bring, you know, the big disc man anymore, or the boom box. Yeah. So, if, we, if we're going to allow that, we usually have to allow their phone to be out. So. And and Wade, uh, yeah, I know I don't know your experience in in the classroom, but I'm guessing that professors in, in college, it that's kind of opened up a lot, hasn't it? Allowing. Oh yeah. Cell phones. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, you know even so as a in a college experience, yeah, definitely. I there were times where I, that's all that I took to class, um, and doing everything from taking notes to, um, you know, there's all these stories now of professors being corrected. Um, 
by uh, students with their phones. Um, so that's that's huge. Um, and also, I do a lot of field trips with students from across Wisconsin who come to the Wisconsin Institutes of Discovery in Madison. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a kind of an interesting space because they're on a field trip, but they'll ask us questions um, or they'll be filling out something in one of the games or on the iPads that we give them. And I always joke, uh, they'll ask how to spell something or uh, whether or not they were identifying uh, one of the characters in the game correctly. And, and I ask them, you have your phone right there. Why haven't you looked it up? So it's kind of an interesting space because, you know, they don't know if they're allowed to. Um, and I always encourage them to yeah. for our field trips. So we we are opening it opening it up this year, and it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, it's it is up to the teacher, like what you were talking about, Jerry. But in non-educational times, um, in the hallway passing periods, before school, after school, in the cafeteria, they're going to be allowed to have their phones. And you know, of course, bathrooms and locker rooms. That's a no phone zone. Uh, they have to have one earbud in one out uh, so they can hear. But the, it seems like the mobile area is a growing area. Yeah, and I think, I think ahead, this Jared. discussion depends on also whether that school's utilizing devices. Like, um, I actually just got great news this week is that all my classes next semester are going to be one one to one. Oh, I got iPads for all, not Sweet. Yeah, not just the class that I put in for. So awesome. That's I'm very gonna cool. I'm going to make the clapping noise. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Which means in my classroom now, I could probably set a different precedent as to why do you need that device out if you have, or why do you need yeah. a phone out if you have a device, right. you know. Well, but, and we have we have laptops. So, but there's but there's certain things I, I found out last year using something that we've uh, done before. Kahoot, Jerry, do mm -hmm. you remember that? Yeah. Kahoot. I, I've used that in class, and I've had kids. I'm still waiting to log in, and I'm like, man, if they had their cell phone, they could get to it, you know, so quickly. And it's an HTML5 uh, page, and it's so quick that you can just get on there and not have to worry about uh, getting on the laptop. Sometimes it's easier, you know, to use a mobile device than getting out a laptop. Well, they're and always more comfortable with their device, too. Yeah. Wade? So, I think um, that it's... I was... Go ahead, Wade. Wade? That... Oh, you, you, you stopped there. Sorry. Oh, no. Um, the um, Our art director at the Games Learning Society Center, um, Brian Pelletier, um, he is an awesome art director, uh, Used to work at Raven Software, designing uh, you know commercial games, and uh, he and Kurt Squire, the head of again the head of the GLS Center, they went to the Games Developer Conference this year, um, GDC, which is not just educational games, obviously right. commercial games and everything, and they said the number one takeaway from GDC this year was mobile games. Um, everything was going to be mobile games. Um, yeah. Very, very few places for the traditional game studio building. You know, you're a huge franchise game. Um, and they specifically said the economy for those studios is not doing well, but the economy for the, the smaller mobile game studio um, is exploding. And they were one of the really, as, as a GLS Center presenting at GDC, there was a lot of love for their, their style of designing games and, and the games that we're building, too, amongst, you know, commercial game developers. So um, yeah. I think that game, educational games is going to grow in that mobile space uh, to where having the phone in the classroom is more beneficial than just the tool. It might be the best way to play the next game. Indie indie games have made a huge stride in the last few years. Small develop you know small developers, of course, they, some of those get gobbled up, but uh, by bigger ones. But you know they're able to make some amazing games with much smaller budgets, uh, and, and that's important. So we we do have this kind of edu corporate thing going, don't we? Um, you know, there's a model, I think James G has talked about a certain model where you have a business side and then you have an EDU side. And I know some companies have really started looking at uh, going to not-for-profit organizations to come up with, with games that, you know, serious, serious games. So, I mean, do you, especially Wade, with some of your background uh, looking at Ubisoft and stuff, something like that, is there a balance there? Are they looking to kind of do some non-for-profit type things? Or are they, it's all money, and we're going to try to make a fine balance with that? Um, I mean, you know, I, I think it's tough because the game, the companies that make the huge, huge franchises 
um, for the on the commercial industry, they're kind of the only ones at the AAA side that are actually doing really well. Um, and you know, I, Brian would be a more expert on this, but um, from what I've you know I've talked with some of the folks who used to be in AAA, AAA game development, um, those folks are really the only ones that are surviving commercially. So then, what you have is a lot of a lot of folks who are individuals from the commercial games industry. Mm-hmm then leaving those bigger groups um, and working for a, uh, you know, a nonprofit like GLS or the Learning Games Network or, or uh, even a, a company like Filament uh, Game Studios um, because the commercial pressure and, and the, the kind of constraints on them are not there. Um, so it's a little more relaxed environment and it's more meaningful in a lot of cases um, for, the, for the work that they're developing. So... I think that you have a lot of individuals, and when you talk about indie games, um, indie game studios being really successful, that's the kind of thing, is those individuals leave those, those bigger companies and are building you know, one-off mobile apps or something for in the games and learning space, and they're going to be really successful because they come with so much experience from the bigger studios. One quick thing here. It, it seems that you have some big organizations, philanthropic organizations, that are supporting Learning Games Network, Filament Games, you know, and, and others that are out there. But I'm starting to see some corporations that are funding, you know, these indie games or non-for-profit games. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a model where they, they get a write-off for helping a non-for-profit and, you know, just kind of circling the money around. And it makes me wonder, like, EA could come up with uh, a model to support a non-for-profit, put the money in, but able to write it off and still come up with a good game. I don't know if that's... I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a tax person. No, but yeah, Zach. I, I see I, it's that. It's funny. Um, I met with my accountant today for my for my book company, and yes, that happens a lot. <laughs> they, have, they have that loophole that just kind of rings around, and they're getting... Yeah. You know, I see Game Desk, which looks like they're doing some really neat things, but a huge supporter of them is AT&T. Right. Yeah, and I think that there's actually... Um, a large, when you think of some of these bigger game studios like Microsoft Studios and um, even EA, they do have initiatives um, in the games and learning space. Um, Microsoft Research drives a lot of their work. Um, I'm really excited about the Project Spark. I don't know if you guys have talked about yeah. that yet on the show, but no, it's, uh, I haven't, but I've seen it. It is. Um, if there's if there's ever going to be a um, you know a, a large, freely ex- or easily accessible way to learn about designing games. Um, that Project Spark, I'm really, really excited about what it's going to do. Um, and uh, then also, you know, groups like EA, they actually have um, uh, a small section uh, of folks working on um, games learning as well. So there's there's people in those, those bigger studios doing the same kind of thing. Um, and a lot of them are actually, uh, you know, driven, like Microsoft is driven by Microsoft Research. They're driven by folks who have come out of places like UW-Madison and other games and learning um, you know, PhD programs, and then are go- they're going and completing their research at um, at these studios. And I-, I can't remember the connection. There's a UW graduate at EA, but I, I forget, um, or a UW connection at EA, but I can't remember who it was off the top. Now, of my head. now Jerry uses Unity, which they give you a huge discount, or is it free, Jerry? Well, there are, there are free versions of Unity. It really depends on um, what you want to do with your final product. When you go to publish it to an online market, like either the Android market or, or an Xbox platform or, or something like that, then there's a charge, but they're even coming down a little bit in that. You know, but The one thing that I've really seen with the whole mobile movement as we talk about it, besides games and learning, is also the ability to create games on mobile platforms is much more available. I just grabbed, um, and I was trying to do this because sometimes, you know, with apps gone free, um, we can, you know, our kids can get really good apps ahead of time. There's a great app called, like, Game Desk that allows you to essentially create a game, right? You know, within five minutes through the tutorial, I had created a game and shared it, which was pretty awesome. So that's not something I can do. I'm assuming that's Game Desk, the one that's, I, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's just the name of the app or what. But well, and we've talked about Valve and yeah. uh, Steam, that pipeline, which is they're they're trying to come up with ways to uh, educate in the games field in order to you know feed them good talent. Uh, so you know, I think they're finding these ways. And I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up, you know, because what's the future of games and learning? Well, 
games and learning needs to be supported. It's got to be making money, and it's 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 not only in the ed you know it's not only in edu. It's also in the corporate world because corporations are spending a lot of money on coming up with types of gamification into their into their model, and that is that they're spending a lot of money. And we've talked to John Hunter, Jerry. Uh, the Pentagon is the largest buyer and creator of games. They spend billions of dollars coming up with simulations and games that help them learn, you know, the tools that they need. So I think I think I think we all agree this is a growing field, and we're all on the cusp of something that's you know that's big. But it's how is it going to be supported? You know, what's the what are the tools? And we uh, I think we agree that you know having a, a mobile device is good. But Wade, I love Civilization. And, you know, the mobile, I can't stand the iPad version. I can't stand the Xbox version. Uh, it's, it annoys me to know, you know, to the farthest reaches. Um, well, you, know, you need the uh, Windows 8 customized touch version for the Surface of oh. Civ 5. That's what you need. Seriously? It's Civ 5, it's Civ, Civ 5 exactly as you would want it with touch controls. It's amazing. I don't know if I want to be going like this. You know, touching, where's the uh, touch, 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 touch. I don't know if I want to be doing that. I like click, click, no, click. Um, well, the other thing is, too, getting that game to actually play on a computer, you know, right. on anything that's inside a school because it's it's a beast. So yeah. what other things What other things do you guys see? I mean, uh, do, you see do you see it growing in the education market? Um, do you see indie developers? Do you see stuff like Learning Games Network and Filament Games and... And, and others getting into this, or are you seeing a lot of garbage out there, actually? That's something I'd like to get some input. Are you seeing garbage? Anybody? Uh, yeah, so uh, I would say, you know, I don't, I wouldn't classify any of it as garbage. Um, there, are pro there are games out there that, um, you know, game developers see this, there are game developers out there who see the games and learning space, especially when we talk about the mobile app space, as, um, as an expansive place, as an easy customer, um, as a, a direct line to someone who's going to spend money on, you know, a parent is going to spend money on an app if it claims to help with some kind of learning for their child. Um, so you do have developers who are building apps that aren't, deliver less than what they promise. Um, but I think that in the games and learning space, uh, more holistically, it, it's tough right now because a lot of game studios are trying to bite off huge chunks of some kind of topic or content, and then and trying to deliver these great games to the to the learners, um, whether it be through the student directly or to the classroom. And um, you know, we talk about funding sources and that kind of thing. Those those kind of projects tend to uh, they tend to underpromise sometimes or overpromise sometimes as well, just because um, it's it's hard to build those kinds of games on the budgets that a lot of these studios work on. Um, you know, I'm proud of the GLS Center. We just finished a game that had 25 people working on it, and that's probably the biggest game or the most amount of people we've had working on a game to this point. And if you hear 25, like 25 people, is a fraction of a fraction of what worked on the latest. You know franchise AAA game, um, and also, but at the same time, 25 People is probably one of the largest games developed um, to be freely available for uh, in the games and learning space. Hmm. So um, I think those kind of constraints tend to lend to games that, even if you play our games, you're going to find things where it's where it's it's obvious that more could be done and, and more could be developed. Um, but I think we're, we're in a kind of a snowball thing here where we're picking up traction and... Um, Funding is going to start becoming w much more widely available and to the right people, and um, and also uh, you know the the variety of games out there are going to basically wash away the the rest of the games that aren't um, you know aren't keeping up. So, well, and I think you know with playful learning, I think that's something. It's a place for teachers to go to to look at lessons, to build lessons, to find a space because parents come to me all the time what what games are what games are good what you know for this area that happens as as teachers it happens as parents 
Uh, and you need to find that. And it, it's also, I do have to mention, because I, I think I've set this, you know, out to some, but, you know, there's another group called Educate that's through Game Desk, and they're doing the same thing. It, it's, it's one of those things, if one group was doing this, that's, that's, that's fine, but when you start seeing another group that's doing it, now you know this is an area that's growing and going to be very important. And I think the more resources that we have out there that, that help teachers and parents, uh, I, think the better, I think the better we are of educating our kids. Um, I mean, do you, do you see that? I, I guess, do you see that as a good sign? I think one of the questions, an important question is, are you going to find more games created for education that become popular, or are you going to find teachers utilizing games made for commercial reasons as educational? So are you, mm -hmm. you going to find more things like Portal 2 that are huge commercial successes and then are utilized afterwards, or like when people use World of Warcraft or things like that, or are we going to see a bigger boom of games intended? for education. Yeah. Well, and I think this plays a lot into, um, you know, Zach, what you just said about playful learning um, being a great place, or, or educate, or even common sense media, or oh, any, of the, yeah. any of the forms that you might find on a particular commercial game. Um, I always talk about, especially with Assassin's Creed, um, I, I really talked about times when the game was inconsistent or um, um, inaccurate even, um, whether they were intentionally inaccurate or not, in the commercial game space, those are really awesome opportunities for a teacher to um, get the students to be critical of the game um, and to think of the game as a designed object. Um, and so I think there's always going to be a place for really well-designed commercial games that are going to have great content that then you can, um, then you can uh, kind of justify bringing those into the classroom to deconstruct them and to, to do really innovative things with them. Um, but then at the same time, I think the level of really good content in educational games is going to grow, um, probably not to the extent of a, you know, triple-A game, but uh, that's the thing, is the content is king. Great educational content is going to exist um, if you make something out of it in any of these games. And I think that it's going to be up to places like Playful Learning and communities of teachers to realize um, how do we pick and choose what we want to use, how do we get started, um, you know, if we don't know where to begin, um, which I think is, is a huge issue for a lot of teachers. Um, and then once you get that, that conversation going, the vocabulary is the same, whether it's educational game or commercial game, it's just how you bring it into the classroom and what you talk about when you're there um, just changes a little bit, but it's the same vocabulary. You're still talking about this mission does this or this mechanic in this game um, shows this particular thing from history or, or does this particular physics concept. You have these game terms regardless of which, which kind of model it would develop the game. And I think you know, from the teacher and learner standpoint, it doesn't really matter. It's just a, a matter of getting to the content. I think we, uh, here's, and maybe this helps you out, Mike, uh, for the question. We're going to have more games that I think are commercially made, or maybe by indie developers, or, you know, like Learning Games Network. We're going to have, I think, more commercial games. I think we're also going to have more games that are made for education. I also think, Jerry, that I think we're going to have more game creation by students, and maybe even teachers. And I think, and then mobile devices. Those are kind of the areas that that this is going to, and I think that kind of summarizes uh, what we've come up with. Heather, is there something you'd like to share? So I, I mean, I'm 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 really fascinated by this whole conversation because I, there's also a cultural shift that needs to occur here, in in terms of like, you know, um, I, like my my own cultural shift in the last year and a half since Wade Berger came into my life and everyone else said GLS, you know, like I knew that games were fun and I knew that I liked to play but I had no idea what um, huge gains could be had in terms of our students critical thinking and this and and Zach you brought up the point of like parents saying to you like is you know what game what educational games are okay for my kid and I mean it, it, that's such a loaded question you know like uh, well, what do you want your kid to get out of it? You know, yeah. like, and um, I was looking again at the doctor's office today. I had to wait for a while. Um, <laughs> at this, like, you know, um, 
I don't know how else to say it, but Status Quo, Parents Magazine, whatever those things are. Yeah. And um, there was an article, there's an article called School of Your Dreams, right? And, and on that it says, like, tech-savvy, creative, hands-on. And those are all the things that kids are doing while they're playing games. And it, make, and it just, like, struck me as, like, well, why are people always telling their kids to turn off the game? Yeah. If that's what they really want. So, I, so I, my, my point being, like, I think there does need to be a cultural shift that occurs. And, and hopefully, you know, and I think that we're just all part of it, and we're going to participate and push it along, and it, it will happen eventually. But we do need to talk about what it means to play games and how it does get messy, and that's okay. And it doesn't have to be video games. It could mm -hmm. be board games. It could be card right. games. It could be simulations. It could be, you know, sports. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. Getting up and actively moving is good, too. Um, you know, those are, those are spaces that are okay, too. Games encompass a large, a large area, and I think that's we need to look at all that. Well, that's why I think it's exciting that we're calling it playful learning because yeah, and and I think it's just so interesting the paradox between that and Common Core standards, which um, explain. I mean, in terms of Common Core standards, like it's this rigor and the push, and you know, it's it's all like we're um, assessing our kids to death, and then at the same time, it's like. Well, they should also be creative and play, and <laughs> so yeah. they're just—they're very—they're very polarized. But the the assessments that I can do in my classroom, yes, we have general standardized tests that you know the the kids are taking, but I could I could assess them in many different ways, whether it's through Minecraft or Civilization or mm -hmm. any of the Brain Pop games or iCivics or anything like that. I can assess in that, and those fit within Common Core. I can make those connections, no problem at all. Um, but that's not the it, it, the problem is how much do I spend time on that? Because am I going to hurt them? Because they're not going to be able to follow the game that's being played by the states and taking these tests. Well, I think that that's the most exciting thing, Zach, is that there's teachers like you and Jerry, and some days me, not you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, you know, I'm trying that that are like pushing the envelope in that sense, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's, that's that's the best part of all this. And Jerry's in an interesting spot because mm -hmm. you know teaching digital art, which I think is so very important, and so many things can build off of that and make connections too. I mean, how do you feel because when you say Common Core, you know, do you feel left out, Jerry, or is it like thank goodness, or is it? that I can make these connections. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. <clears throat> Common Core opens up a, a can of worms. See, we have somebody, we have a group of people working on a Common Core for art standards as well, so it's eventually going to be merged in, but, you know, that kind of thing really just unfortunately plays to my pessimistic side and the side where Ooh, people, <laughs> people want to, um, you know, there's a lot of companies making money off of it. It's a sweet thing that's been sold to the schools as the the the, the thing that's going to save all. And, you know, Zach, I even, like, even when you say something like, <clears throat> I, can, I can figure out a way to assess those Common Core things using grades, and, like, those are such awesome things, but then so so many times they still want common assessments as part yeah. of Common Core. Yeah. Everyone assessing the exact same way, assessing mm -hmm. everything the exact same way, so that we can make sure that we spit out the exact same robots. Well, which, if you ask anyone in education, is not even the point. So then you have to under right. you have to ask why are we doing this? And unfortunately, I read a crazy article on a company that makes a lot of tests that I won't go into. But, uh, <laughs> The money. I have three guests. <laughs> the money's the money's pretty disgusting, and the the game oh. is is kind of disgusting. And and being outside in the arts makes it even probably just makes me even more pessimistic towards that because there's no desire for that to be incorporated. Well, the tests, the assessments that we have really come up with, and at least in social studies in my district, in you know normal Illinois, um, their application. So they're applying knowledge, or they're gathering knowledge and applying it, and, and, and putting it together. Now that's coming up with a common assessment like that is is very difficult to do. But then to grade it, that is a whole nother can of worms, because 
I really, honestly, and we've, I know we've talked about it, Jerry, I don't believe in grades and such A, B, C, D. I, I look at it a little bit differently, and I use rubric, and I use a four-point scale. I'd rather just have mastery, you know, strong, satisfactory, and needs improvement. And that's where Common Core can be helpful, because I could grade in that manner. But assessing, having a common assessment, and then putting that, and then having teachers grade it, that is difficult to do. I, and I, I think the concept of Common Core is not bad. Here's my issue, is that we've forgotten what the word core means. You know, Common Core has turned into common set of standards that we want every kid to learn about every subject Stem. and leave high school with. You know, it's like, it's not Common Core anymore, it's common things in every different area. Like, if it were <laughs> core, it would be a very small group of things that kids have to know. And, and it's not. It's like, well, part of Common Core is every kid has to go through statistics, too, in high school. It's like, well, that doesn't make any – like, why do you want every kid to know that? You know, that's where that's where my issue comes in is that Core has become core way too big. I didn't mean to derail the conversation into Common Core. Jeez. Oh, no. oh, totally derailed now. Wah, wah. Yeah. We'll her. We lost 50% uh, of our viewers, so we're down to five now. <laughs> But I do think it is interesting how we're having these conversations about critical thinking and gaming and playing at the same time. And, and you know what, to be honest, what's the future of gaming and education? I'm hopeful. I'm thinking it's going to, like, kick Common Core's butt and assessment's butt because but it's I, fun. But I think they're going to attach it to Common Core. This game is for Common Core. And, and I, hopefully I'm not going to upset anybody. People outside of education looking at this, that's the key word and you're seeing stuff sold on this, that it's attached to the Common Core. We have this game, it's attached to the Common Core. The only problem is that most schools don't grade... This is a discussion I'm having constantly with my district, is that if I'm going to use Common Core, I want to have a standards-based grade book. I, don't, I want each area mapped out, and I can assess in those individual areas. Don't have me test on certain well, skills and then give it an A, B, C, D, or 90%, 80%, yeah. or whatever it is. Don't let me do that. They don't match at all. I was about to say anyone that understands the two realizes they have to go together because you can't, yes. you can't dictate Common Core. You, the first part of Common Core is you have to decide what the core is, what the common part is, and then there has to be a direct correlation to assess those. Otherwise, you're in just saying, area. like, these are our seven Common Core things we want kids to learn in, in social studies, and they got to be doing it. Like, well, what does that mean? What are, what are the different areas? How do they do in each yeah, area? Right. And you in art, especially, you have different areas and skill sets within art. You assess on those different areas. Oh, but mass, when you put the grade I mean, the, in, right. it's, the, it's, oh, they took this quiz and they got 10 points on it. And then well, we you have them an average. And, we have huge discussions about this because think about somebody that, um, you know, can create, you have, you have, this is the long way around this conversation. You have so many people that work at something like Disney putting together an artistic, whether it's a movie or whatever it is, and you have some people that technically draw, and you have some people that come up with plot lines and themes. But if you have a kid in high school art that can't draw but is an amazing storyteller, theme builder, or you know puts this together digitally but doesn't do it with drawing, then you have a grade that doesn't necessarily reflect that because yeah. that kid could get a B and then a kid that's amazingly technically skilled at drawing but doesn't know what content is also gets a B. Yeah. You know, so which one do you want to hire? You have no idea because right. they both just got Bs. And one thing, Wade, I don't know if you'd be interested at all, but and I, I know some viewers out there would, but when I when I implemented civilization into my classroom, I broke it down into core areas, and they basically match up with the common core of my state standards in the state of Illinois. And so when they finish a, uh, a game, they break down into those different areas, and I assess in those different areas. I can see, are they good in geography? Are they good in understanding the division and specialization of labor? Are they good at civics? Are they good at culture? And I have those broken down. I can see where it's at, and it fits perfectly within the game civilization. And that's so what somebody wants do. to hire that's games what, do that. They break it down. Do, right. Like, oh, you killed fifty percent of the enemies. Oh, that's there's so much data. Game. But like, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's so much but data. So 
you know, from a lab that is, um, I think we're becoming well known for uh, putting analytics into our games and trying to get data out of uh, what a player is doing while playing. I worry most about these, and this is, you know, for teachers out there evaluating games, I worry most about games. Uh-oh. Oh, no way. That was a really dramatic cutoff. It froze. <laughs> it's like, no, froze. no way. Okay, yeah, there okay. you go. It was okay. right at worried most, and then you worried cut off. It was like about... a bad TV show. Worried ah. most. <laughs> no, I'm worried most about games that already have um, the common core like built into the game um, or some kind of standardized assessment built into the game where the player has stopped and they have to be assessed and... Um, you know, I think we're doing a better job of building games that attack, uh, you know, players' choices and th thoughts about their lives and their, their actions and reactions in the world and those kinds of things. And I, I'm much more excited about games that are trying to make that impact on a, on, a, on a learner's life than a game that is specifically designed to teach the following five math standards. You know? What's, I'm having some brain gas here. In, in statistics, you have the... Um, Language what, teacher? Simmer down. There's two. There's two areas that you can um, you can study in. There's the like a number side analytical. What is that called? Quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative. There, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. So yeah. you can get a lot of quantitative data from a game because it's it is mm -hmm. numbers and stuff. But when I assess in civilization, it's qualitative. Right. I'm interviewing. I'm talking to the kids, and honestly, those are the best. Results, but you can't. But they're the most difficult to find, mm -hmm. and that's what makes our job so important because we need that qualitative. But standards and tests, Common Core and, and standards-based tests, rely on quantitative, and that's that's the disconnect. And I agree totally. I think the um, I think the really great you know games are great because they have awesome content and because they. Um, they play really well at building on each other, and you go from something small to something bigger to something bigger, and something, and you kind of build on yourself. And and there are a lot of other really cool things that the games do that replicate really good learning. And I want the games and learning space to build those games, and then this other group of folks like yourself, the playful learning folks, to come in and build the educational content and the guides for teachers yeah. to be able to get to that content, yep. rather than building a game that is level one, a, applied parable parabolas level two quadratic formula you know I don't I don't want that game sounds like a real thriller uh, if, uh, oh but if you add zombies in it woo, watch out <laughs> all right now I'll play okay I'm in. Well, let me let me get this in here and then we Star can Star wars or zombies we can we can finish that zombie did parabola you, oh come on simmer down okay <laughs> so did you have an edge win Jerry I'm working on it that is a hashtag e d u w i n Remember, PBS and EdReach are collecting education wins by going to www.whatisyoureduin.com. Anyone can submit a eduin, an eduin, because that would be uh, I teach <laughs> reading and writing. Okay, to help us shape the conversation in education to, into a positive one. If you see innovation, a story, see dramatic pause there, a moment happen, be a citizen report and, reporter and tell the world. Submit an eduin at whatisyoureduin.com. Let's change the story of education. Love it. Love it. There's been some good ones on there. Like, hey, mobile learning. Look at that. Had a phone. Had a phone. Okay, any final comments? Any final comments, thoughts? Heather? Uh, uh, see, I, I love putting you on the spot. So you ready for my last one? New York Times article in November 2012, so last school, start of last school year. Um, article about teachers, for better, for worse, technology uses altered learning styles, teachers say. So when I first when I first looked this at this, I thought, oh, well, of course it changes their learning style. Duh, read some Jim G. But then I thought, hey, at least people are tuning in to the fact that something's going on with games. Yeah. And so this, this is another, like, you know, uh, plug for, for, for gaming to be... For, for my hope for gaming to be um, more popular, this cultural shift to continue to occur. And, um, you know, th those are little scores. And, um, I, and, you know, I love hanging out with you guys and talking about this stuff. It's very interesting. I always learn a ton. And um, 
Awesome. Keep hope alive. Yeah. <laughs> Wade. Oh no, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I work with a lot of teachers that come through the lab and students who come through our lab and. Um, you know, I think we do a really good job of testing games early on um, so that we can kind of get, get some proof right away that it teaches the content we want. But I think uh, the games learning space, the folks building the games, they need to get them into hands of students more often. And, um, you know, if a place like Playful Learning can be a, a, good, a good opportunity to have, you know, betas of games and early pilot tests of games, it might be a good way to get uh, the level, the quality level to, to raise up a little bit and uh, we might be able to start seeing some uh, some really awesome stuff in the future. My, uh, I, it just because, you know, my mind works in this way, it just comes up with all these ideas. The beta testing of some of these games, I my class, I know my class, my students would love to do something like that, but I could also turn that, stop smiling, Heather, I could turn that into a uh, oh. into interdisciplinary unit because they could review the games. Mm -hmm. I can have them write reviews and use that within my language arts. So I like that. Well, I know a person who does game testing at a game studio. His name's Wade Berger. You can talk to him <laughs> about having your students test hey, those out. Hey, could you talk to him for me? Uh, I'll put in a word. I want an autograph. Uh, I could probably do that. <laughs> you probably do that. Okay, Jerry, any thoughts? Game press, not game desk. Not okay. Game desk, so yeah, it's I was game like, press. That's kind of interesting. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I know. Anything else going on? You want to share? Okay. Have no. you tuned that? Have you tuned that bass? Or is that a guitar? I can't. That's a guitar. It's actually a baritone guitar, and that's oh. a Fender Telecaster, and that's a Gibson Double Cutaway. Yeah, if you could actually play, you know, so, that'd be helpful. It's only part of the family, man. They go across the whole wall. I have gotcha. a sick addiction. He does. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer Podcast. You guys were awesome. Awesome. That was a great discussion. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach Network. Have Black. a great black, black. black. Are you from Chicago? Have a great Black. Week.